1: When your prayer life gets weak, you get into the Word. Now, why is that so significant? It's God-breathed. So when I open the Word of God, if I read the Word of God, I'm reading the words of God. I want to begin with a question. How do you pray? Or perhaps this is better asked. What do you pray? As children, we're taught to pray in, in some very practical and simple ways. Maybe you remember this one. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for the food. By his hands, we are fed. Give us, Lord, our daily bread. Or maybe you were a child who was taught this prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray thee, Lord, my soul to take. It goes on to say, if I should live for other days, I pray thee, Lord, to guide my ways. Amen. Many of us who were raised in the church are familiar with this prayer, the model prayer of Jesus. Our Father, who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I was noticing this week that friend was saying they had taught their child to quote and pray Psalms 23 at bedtime each evening beginning with these familiar words the Lord is my shepherd I I shall not want you're all I need these are great ways to help us pray even models for prayer but I would suggest to you today that they are starting points not ending points Uh, unfortunately There are people who have been active in their faith for a lot of years that have never learned to take these models, these outlines for prayer and apply it to their lives to begin to pray personal, passionate prayers to God. We've been looking at the life of Daniel and as we examine Daniel's life, one of the things we see is that Daniel has prioritized prayer. You know the story of Daniel in the lion's den. You've heard some of the other stories from this great book in the Bible, but maybe you haven't realized that in the book of Daniels, we have recorded a prayer from Daniel himself. Before we get to that, I want to remind you of the context. Daniel is in a mess. That's why I think we can relate to him so much because most of us were in a mess and we are a mess. A Daniel is in a mess. When he was a child, maybe 14 years old, he was taken captive by an evil king, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and he was taken from Jerusalem, his homeland where he was part of nobility. He was taken to Babylon to be indoctrinated in the ways of Babylon. He was thrown into the university, you could say, and in that setting it was that he was supposed to learn the ways of the Babylonians, the language of the Babylonians, That he was to be loyal to the Babylonians. But in Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8, we see that Daniel makes a decision. There are decisions that affect our lives. It says, when Daniel was challenged with the need to take what the king was given him, he resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to to allow him not to defile himself. And then notice what happened. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. So here in Daniel chapter one, verse eight, Daniel makes this decision. And as he makes this decision, he recognizes something we've learned. We make our choices and our choices make us. Our decisions determine our destiny. I was a child When I knelt, recognizing that I was a sinner, needing a savior, I asked God to forgive me of my sins, to come into my life, and to take control. That decision I made as a small child changed my forever destiny. I know with confidence that if my life were to end today, I would spend forever in heaven, all because of a decision I made as a child. When I graduated college, I loaded up my car and I went to Fort Worth, Texas. On the first day of seminary in Fort Worth, I met a beautiful blonde her name was Kimberly. I knew after not too long that she was the one for me. And so I asked her to marry me. And after a couple years, we were married. And that decision uh, to, to marry Kimberly, that shaped me. That's shaped my destiny. And I recognize aside from my relationship with Jesus Christ, it's that relationship with Kimberly that is a choice that made a big impact on my life. What about you? What are the decisions you've made that have greatly impacted you. Well, we watched Daniel make these decisions for 65 years. He's 14, 15 when we meet him in chapter one. By the time we get to chapter six, where he's thrown into the lion's den, he may be 80 years old. And it's at that same time that we find him in chapter nine of Daniel. Throughout this whole time, God has been with him. In fact, that's kind of the theme of Daniel, right? God's sovereignty. That God's not caught off guard. He's not surprised by the circumstances of our life. God never has aha moments. The providence of God. is a reminder that the hand of God is on the ark of history and in our lives. So even when we can't see him, when we can't trace his hand, when we don't understand, we can trust his heart because he's guiding us. In fact, there was this theme from last week from the lion's den. We learned that wherever we are, whatever we face, our God is able to deliver us and demonstrate his power for the glory of his name. And if you understand that and if you believe that, it it changes the way you look at life. Daniel clearly believed that. So it was at this same time that in Daniel chapter 9, we have recorded what is known as the Daniel prayer. I hope you'll look with me in your copy of God's Word, whether that's in a print version on your smartphone or your tablet, or maybe you've got it memorized. However you've got it, turn to Daniel chapter 9. This is a full chapter. We're going to cover the first part of this chapter. I will want you to follow along. Daniel 9, beginning of verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by a descent, Amid, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. So reminder, This is the same time uh, of Daniel chapter six, because we know that it was in the first year of King Darius. King Darius is yet another leader that Daniel has served with in this land of exile that he's taken to. It's now considered Persia, not really Babylon, because the Persians have taken control in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleased for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes." Now understand what's taking place. Daniel is overwhelmed by the situation, the desolation of his present circumstances. The nation was in chaos and the people of God seemed to be complacent. Does that sound familiar? We live in a world in which our nation is in chaos. You look to the church for hope and way too often it seems like the people who profess to be the people of God are in chaos. Our world is a mess. You turn on the news and you think, oh God, what in the world? And then you look in the mirror and and most of our lives are a mess. Rather than reflecting who God is, where we are, we're reflecting the world in which we live. And we're just a mess. And you begin to think, what can one person do? Can I make a difference? You just want to give up. Just go along and get along. But Daniel, from the time he was a young teenager, he had refused to be that kind of person. He determined to be a difference maker. And in this case, we see that his difference is powered by prayer. I want to suggest to you today that all of these great stories you hear about Daniel as you read through the book of Daniel, every one of them are fueled by his passion for prayer. Notice Daniel's passion with what we read. He was seeking him in prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. History records the story of a man named Hani. Hani lived 60 years before the birth of Jesus. Hani was a Jewish man and a devout man. And he was a person who believed that God hears our prayers. And so the people of Israel were experiencing a drought... And Hani determined that he would cry out to God for rain until the drought was resolved. And so he drew a circle around himself. And he said to God, I'm not leaving this circle until you send the rain. The story goes that the mist of God, the rain began to fall. And Hani says, oh, no, 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 no. But God, that's not the rain for which I pray. I'm praying for a deluge. I'm praying for a downpour. And the story goes that great amounts of rain begin to fall down. But Hani goes, no, but God, still, that is not what I'm praying for. I'm praying that you rain from the heavens in such a way that the lands are flooded. And the rain came. And the people of God were no longer in a drought. I would say to you today that I think we're at that kind of place. We need to draw a circle around ourselves. Perhaps not a literal circle, but we need to dedicate ourselves to the things and the ways of God and get to a place where we cry out to him so passionately, so earnestly, so fervently, "Oh God, send the rains. Do what only you can do. Do what we need." We can't make it without you. So I would be foolish if I suggested that and didn't pause and pray right now. So I want to invite you to pray with me. God, in the name of Jesus, we have stopped to seek you. We need you, we need you to send the rain. Not the literal rain, but we need you to rain down from heaven with your power and your presence in such a way that we in the church and the world outside of the church sees that you are God of all that is. Oh, God, forgive us, particularly those of us who profess to walk with you for not being different enough that the world sees the things that distinguish us. We need you to work afresh and anew in our lives, Lord. So give us what we don't yet have for your glory. Teach us those things we've not yet learned for your glory. Make us men and women, boys and girls for your glory. Oh God, we need you. Speak to our lives. Lord, because there's so many things that distract us, give us ears, mind, eyes that would hear receive and see god impact eternity because of this moment we do not need any more religion we do not need ritual but god we need you i pray that someone would experience a forever change of salvation because of this moment and lord i pray that the words i say and even my thoughts would be pleasing to you in this moment and i thank you for this in the name of jesus Daniel was compelled to pray because of the problems of his world. What compels you to pray? What makes you desperate enough to pray? What are the problems around you that you think about that drive you to your knees, that cause you to call upon God? In verse 3, we see again, just like in the story of the lion's den, that Daniel is prioritizing prayer. In chapter six, when he's threatened with the lion's den, we're told that he goes and begins to do what he's always done. He goes to his place of prayer and he prays just like he had always prayed. He prayed with expectation. He prayed with humility. He prayed with thanksgiving and God answered his prayer. But in verse two of chapter nine, we see that this particular prayer flows out of something else in Daniel's life, something that should be in each of our lives. Remember, we learned in Daniel chapter six that we should develop habits today that we're going to need tomorrow. Spiritual disciplines. I, I encourage you to ask God to help you be disciplined to do those things you want to love to do. Every Christian wants to say, Man, I love to pray. I love to spend time in God's Word. I can't put it aside. But sometimes the discipline just does not get us there. So ask God to give you the discipline to help you do the things you desire to love to do, those habits that you know you're going to need tomorrow. Well, we know Daniel was a prayer, but now we see there was more to his habit. In chapter 9, we find him having his quiet time. We look at Daniel and we see him distinguished. The Bible teaches us that they're really, other than Jesus, I don't know if there's anybody else described like Daniel. He's a man of integrity. Nothing negative is said about him. How did he do that? Living as an exile, living as an alien in a foreign land. I believe he did that through the power of prayer. So that's what we're going to talk about. How do you pray through Babylon? Because some of us, we feel like exiles, right? We feel like we're in a foreign land. We, we feel like, hey, I'm trying to live for Christ, but it is hard at my school. It's, it's hard at my place of work. It's hard in my circle of friends. How do I live for Christ in this Babylon that God has placed me in? Well, you do that through prayer. And the first thing that Daniel teaches us about praying through Babylon is that we start with the word of God. Now, remember, he's in his 80s. That makes me think of my parents. My dad's gone to our father's house. He's in heaven now. But my mom, who's moved here to Tampa, she's in her 80s. And I'll occasionally call her. And just in the last week or so, I called her. I said, Mom, what are you doing? And, and, and she said, I'm, I'm just sitting here with my Bible open. And I'm just, I'm praying and I'm begging God for a revival. And I believe that because I saw that growing up. I would get up in the morning and I would come down the little three steps in our house and go to the kitchen where my mom was sitting at this little Oakwood table that now sits in our house. And she would have her Bible open and there would be pen marks all in the Bible. And I would see tears streaming down her face because she had been reading scripture and crying out to God in prayer. And that's exactly the picture we see of Daniel. Daniel was compelled to pray because of the problems of his word, but he, of the world, but he was propelled to pray because of the promises of God. Look at verse two again. What does it teach us? It says that Daniel opened the books. What were the books? That was his Bible. That was the words of the prophets, the laws of Moses. So he had in his possession the Bible. It was close by. I hope that when you need God, when you get to a place where you are desperate for help, that you are quick to be able to possess the scriptures, that they've not just gotten dusty on a shelf somewhere, but they are regularly used in your life. So he opens the book and then notice what he calls it. He calls it the word of God. Daniel believes something that we need to believe. Many of us say we believe, but act like we don't believe. Daniel believed that the scriptures were the word of God. This is what scripture teaches of itself. It says that it's God breathed. That means it's inspired. So holy men of God wrote as God breathed into their life. That's why we can say things like God's word, the Bible, is infallible. It doesn't contain falsehood. That's why we can say things like God's word, the Bible, is inerrant. It doesn't contain error because we believe it's the word of God. That's what Christ followers, that's what we necessarily believe. If we didn't believe that, then good God. Grief, walk away because it's like you're in some cult or you're following some fairy tale. But if this is the word of God, then let's start living like we believe it. Like it makes a difference in our life. Daniel believed that the books were the word of God. And then we know exactly where he was looking in the Bible. He was reading Jeremiah the prophet. And why is that significant? Did you know that more than any element of scripture... The the element of scripture that takes up the most pages of the Bible are the prophecies of scripture. Where God is saying to his people, hey, here's what I'm going to do. So if if I want to be in tune with God, I probably want to have some awareness of prophecy. And so Daniel did. He's reading from Jeremiah these prophecies of scripture. And we even know from the rest of this chapter exactly what he was reading. I think he was reading from Jeremiah 25 because listen to what it says, verse 8. Therefore, Thus says the Lord of hosts, because you've not obeyed my words, behold, I will send for all the tribes of the north, declares the Lord, and for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and I will bring them against the land and its inhabitants and against all these surrounding nations. And I will devote them to destruction and make them a horror, a hissing and an everlasting desolation. Moreover, I will banish from them the voice of myrrh and the voice of gladness and the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride and the grinding of millstones and the light of the lamp and the whole land shall become a ruin and a waste. And these nations shall serve as the king of Babylon, notice, for 70 years. So Jeremiah is prophesying about what we read about in Daniel chapter 1. What happened in Daniel chapter 1? A king of Babylon named Nebuchadnezzar goes to Jerusalem and he begins to make Jerusalem desolate. And this prophecy from Jeremiah in chapter 25 has been fulfilled. God said he was going to do it and he does it. Listen to me. That's how God works. God says he's going to do something and he does it. He's the original promise keeper. I believe Jeremiah was reading this. And then he's reading from Jeremiah 29, verse 10. Listen to what it says. So this familiar passage that some of you may have on your wall or verse that you've memorized, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, not of welfare, but of a future and of hope. That was given to Jeremiah, the prophet, about the people of Jerusalem, under the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. And God was saying, hey, you're going to be there for 70 years, but don't worry. I've got this whole thing under control. I know what I've got planned for you. My plan for you is a future and a hope. And so Daniel is here having his quiet time, probably in the same place that he went to pray to when he got thrown into the lion's den. He's before God, and he's saying, God, Your word promises that after 70 years, this whole thing's going to be over. Yes, you've done the first part of this, God. We need you to do the next part of this. And here's what I want you to understand Daniel's prayer was fed by the word of God. That's the biblical pattern for prayer. You start with the word of God. When your prayer life gets weak, you get into the word. Now, why is that so significant? What did we say the word of God is? Who breathed the word of God? Who breathed the Bible? God, it's God breathed. So when I open the word of God, if I read the word of God, I'm reading the words of God. That's why I tell you, when you want to hear from God, all you have to do is read the Bible. If you want to hear God speak out loud, read the Bible out loud. Let me ask you, if your prayer life is dependent on your familiarity with God's word, how, how impactful are your prayers? So if, if my premise is right, if powerful prayer starts with the word of God, do you know enough of the word of God to really pray powerfully? What parts of God's word are you praying back to him today?
0: but it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us next Sunday at noon for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk AM 570 and 910.